My name is Daniel, and this is the Engineering Success Podcast, Episode 6. Today we have an exciting topic ahead of us as we learn about the wonderful world of med school with a wonderful guest named Ryan Poo. Ryan is a close friend of mine and someone I'm fortunate to call a friend and a colleague, and I really look forward to having him on the podcast, and I know that you will enjoy learning from his experiences on how he got to med school and what that experience has been like for him now as a med school student. Before we kick it over to the interview, remember to like this video if you're watching on YouTube. Remember, if you're watching the podcast in Apple Podcasts, make sure that you are giving it five stars. And also, if you're listening on Anchor, uh, make sure to favorite the podcast and uh, submit your questions at engring.success at gmail.com if you want to be featured in the second half of the podcast where I answer career questions. But without any further ado, let's kick it over to Ryan and start the podcast. All right, I am here with Ryan Poo. He just finished his first year of med school at the University of North Texas Health Science Center, Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine. Man, that's a mouthful. He graduated from Trinity University with his Bachelor of Science in Biology and his minor in Religion. He has a certification as an EMT, and he is from Portland, Oregon. Hey, Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for uh, hopping onto the podcast. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so the way that this podcast works, this is a series called How I Got Here. So, your How I Got Here is med school. So, starting from, let's start with college. What did you do from graduating college to now being in med school? Was there anything in between there? Yeah, so between graduation and med school, I took a gap year. So I took my MCAT in the, uh, the fall or I guess January of 19. And then I worked as an EMT. I got my EMT certification that last year of college because um, I took a, a lighter load my last semester. And I started working um, as in an emergency room as an ER technician um, from July of 19 to July of 2020. So as you can imagine, for the last three or four months of that, I was working through COVID um, which was an experience of itself, but I felt that it was really prepared me for med school, prepared me for what it's like to be a doctor. And it's definitely helped me in classes too, just because like, I can apply classroom material to things that I've seen in real life. Um, it's not just learning about heart attacks. It's actually, I've seen it the year before as an ENT. So yeah. I love that. Um, and it really makes me a better student. Yeah. So you love heart attacks? Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Well, that was just an example, but <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just giving you a hard time. So, so that's the job you did between graduating and, co and uh, med school. So did you do any other jobs during college, any other internships, or I don't know what, if they call them internships in the yeah, pre-med route. <clears throat> yeah. So my second semester, my um, freshman year, so I guess that'd be fall of 2016, I worked with a biology professor we, I did research with him for about two years. Um, we did a couple poster presentations, a couple oral presentations. I never got to go any, to any major uh, national conferences, but I did a lot in, at Trinity. 
Um, I also was a TA for OCHEM, for GenChem, for BioChem, um, where I would <clears throat> hold like one-on-one -on -one sessions or hold like mini classroom sessions and kind of go over high yield topics for exams. And most recently, I was hired as a tutor for an MCAT prep company. And I love that too. I love helping students, you know, who, who feel maybe a little bit helpless in their score, improve 15, 20, 30 points even, um, and get the score that they want. So um, that's probably, other than being an EMT, my favorite job so far. And I'm still doing that today. Awesome. So you said that um, you did research starting your second semester of your sophomore year of college? Of my freshman year. Of your freshman year of college. So is that what you were doing during the summers as well during college? Correct. So my summer after both my freshman and sophomore years, I was doing research too, full-time. Wow. Okay. And then junior and senior year? Yeah. So my junior summer was spent studying for the MCAT. And then of course, senior year summer, you've graduated at that point. So I was working. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. All right. So um, let's talk a little bit more about your um, experience as an EMT. What was, what was that like um, working as an EMT what did you do as an EMT? Were you one of the guys yeah. that was in the ambulance or, or where, where specifically were you working as an EMT? Definitely. And then uh, any kind of, again, you kind of got into it earlier, but you know, any other things that you learned from being an EMT? Yeah, definitely. I definitely recommend gap years to anyone trying to go to med school. <clears throat> I think that it takes a certain maturity in med school um, to succeed. Although I do have a lot of friends in med school currently who didn't take a gap year and they're just as, they're doing awesome as well. But for me, just having that time off really helped me recenter myself, remind myself why I want to be a doctor in the first place, which brings me to your question. So as an ENT, um, I worked <clears throat> in an ambulance for like a week or so, but then I just, I didn't, I liked working in the hospital more. So I transitioned into a ER technician job. My job included helping the nurse triage. Triage just means like, I, I like the first look at a patient, trying to see how sick they are. Going and into like the blood, uh, the blood and, then, and the, exactly. the fluids we did, and stuff. We did blood work. We, I started IVs. Um, occasionally we would have to um, help wrap wounds, um, which is really interesting to see. But we worked alongside the ER nurses as well as ER physicians. <clears throat> and I worked in a, a fairly large ER in downtown San Antonio. Our patient population was most people there didn't have health insurance or were on Medicaid, Medicare or were experiencing homelessness. And so that was a whole world that I hadn't really seen before or worked with. And that just, that really touched my heart to work with people who are uninsured, who, are, who um, just need a lot more love and attention probably than the average patient. So that was probably my biggest takeaway is just being a doctor who is empathetic, who loves seeing people who just really need the help the most and not seeing them as potentially um, just, just seeing them as a human being when sometimes it's, they may not be the easiest patients to work with, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So, so do you want to do emergency medicine or, or, or did that help at least help you find out what you want to do? Or do you know what you want to do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great question. So emergency medicine is definitely up there. I like anesthesia as well. Um, and, and as, as an anesthesiologist, you actually do can work in emergent cases as well. And that's probably what my route that I want to take. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. Anesthesiology. That's, uh, some, some people joke about that being the, the easy one. Cause you just put people to sleep. <laughs> but I imagine that, uh, can you dispel that myth for the, for those of the people that just think anesthesiology is the easy one? Yeah. I love talking about anesthesiology. So, um, <clears throat> probably the fellowship that I want to go into is cardiothoracic anesthesia. And so a little bit about what that means. So, um, 
Anesthesiology is a four-year residency, which means you work as a resident doctor for four years post-graduation. You're considered a doctor, but you still work under an attending doctor who is someone who is post-residency. Mm -hmm. After that, I would do a one-year fellowship in cardiothoracic surgery and work with patients who are very sick with heart issues, kind of that heart attack uh, story I gave earlier with heart issues, heart transplants. Um, and you are called the internal medicine doctor of the ER, of the OR, of the operating room, meaning the surgeon focuses on the heart and fixing it, but you yeah. monitor everything else. You monitor their kidney function, their, heart, their, their lung function. How are they breathing? How are they feeling? Are they, are they in pain? Even the musculoskeletal system, um, are they relaxed enough? They're tense enough. When they wake up, how will they feel? When they wake up, how will the kidneys realign with the new heart? That kind of thing. So that's the kind of doctor that I would be. Um, so it's a lot more than just putting patients to sleep. It's also waking them up. It's also keeping them comfortable. It's also making sure that, that they stay healthy during the surgery, that they mm -hmm. enter the surgery just as, just as well as they left the surgery. But most importantly, it's a lot of preparedness. So making sure that um, you think ahead to all the possibility, all the possible things that could go wrong during surgery and you have all the drugs ready. So if the patient is diabetic, you have insulin ready. If the patient has kidney failure, you make sure you have um, other ways to resuscitate them um, other than just fluids or kidney medicine, if kidney is an issue for them. Yeah. Interesting. Well, thank you for uh, dispelling that, that myth <laughs> about anesthesiologists just putting people to sleep. All right. Exactly. So um, how important, you know, you talked a little bit about the, the gap year. So how important is it to have relevant work experience to get into med school? Because I know a lot of, I know a lot of people that work as scribes and I didn't hear scribe as your experience. So maybe, maybe talk a little bit about how, first of all, how important it is to get experience and then maybe kind of give us a little insight into why you chose not to go the scribe route, not necessarily sure. bashing it, but yeah, why, why you chose not to go that route. Definitely. Being a scribe is, is awesome. Um, I just wanted a little bit more hands-on and I just really wanted to see if I, I just, I feel like being a scribe has its own perks. Um, you learn a lot of medical terminology um, but you get that as an EMT as well. And I guess, yeah, I just wanted to be more hands-on. You also get paid it better as an EMT too. Yeah. That's any, any incentive. Um, in terms of your other question, I think there are three big extracurricular activities that are important to do during undergrad. Number one being some kind of volunteer work. And I know that we say do extracurriculars that, that, that matter to you, but I think that it's important just as a holistic application to hit all three categories. So the categories are volunteering. So some kind of volunteer work that you like, hospital. I worked at the Children's Shelter, which is a, a, a place for, for children who are coming out of domestic violence um, situations the, and some kind of leadership. And so the leadership that I did is I was really involved in my church group on campus. And lastly, some kind of academic thing. So mine was research, of course, which I mentioned earlier. So if you can hit all three, that'd be ideal um, during undergrad. And I think that just shows a little bit of diversity and, and it just shows it's, it's kind of what they're looking for, which I know is not what people want to hear, but it's the truth <laughs> about your application. Yeah. Yeah. So not that you weren't genuine about caring about the children's shelter and then full disclosure, I was in that church group with you. So I you obviously appreciate you <laughs> appreciated your impacts and your harassing to get me to attend. Um, but, but yeah, so, but at the same time, it sounds like, you know, Hey, if this is the formula, if this is the game, then mm -hmm. within the things that you're passionate about, you, you, you need to play, I mean, maybe not call it playing the game, but you need to do what you can to set yourself up for success. Exactly. Yeah. And that's yeah. what they're looking for. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so can you go a little bit more into what your process, uh, what, like for example, if somebody is in high school and they don't know anything about what it takes to become a doctor, can you mm-hmm. kind of walk through them through the process <laughs> through um, getting into med school and, Definitely. and maybe give us a little insight in why you chose biology as your major as Definitely. well? Cause I don't know. I, I know that you don't actually have to major in biology. That is true to med school. So why don't you start with that and then get us more into the process of what it took for you to get into med school? Definitely. I think that choosing, if you want want to start with the high school student, um, to the high school students out there, um, choosing a college is more about the culture of the college than the particular program. So what I mean by that is there will be a pre-med advisor at any school you choose to go to um, who will help you get there. Um, And and so if you're not a big school like UT or a small school at Trinity, there will be people to help you on the way. And even at Trinity, a small school, it's not like the pre-med advisors will, they will be maybe slightly more accessible than someone from UT or a bigger school, but you still have to seek them out, right? It's yeah. not like at Trinity, we can just hold your hand and you know you can kind of be more passive. That's not true, right? You still have to look for the opportunities, right? Even as something as simple as, hi, my name is so-and-so, and I want to be a doctor. And I know I'm just a freshman, but I want to be a doctor. Will you help me? That relationship is very important. And that email needs to be sent at Trinity or it needs to be sent at UT. And so choosing a school is more about a school that you would like, a school that you think you would succeed at. Me personally, I just, I learn a lot by talking aloud and having a small school and having just slightly more accessibleness to my professors help me because I just like explaining things allowed to my professors is like kind of how I learn and like check to see if my learning is any good. Yeah. <clears throat> if you're someone who likes to study alone or like study in small groups, aside from a professor help, then I think going to a big school is just, is fine. But even at a small school, you still have to seek out those office hours. So to seek out those one-on-one time with your professors. So definitely being seeking out professors, I guess, is the number one thing I would recommend you if you want to be a doctor. Um, number two, the biggest hurdle would probably be the MCAT. Um, I would definitely study for that early. So kind of what I did is being a TA, it helped me refresh a lot of things that I learned. Um, So I not only taking Gen Chem, but then teaching it later really um, solidified a lot of that knowledge. Studying for early really helps too. Um, buy a Kaplan book and then you can um, look at it over the summers to kind of get started. Um, Or it doesn't have to be Kaplan. I'm not promoting Kaplan. Just any book about the MCAT um, would really help. Um, and from there, um, I think I'm kind of going on a tangent. Well, the, you're good. The- you're good. So you got picking the college, picking your undergrad university, MCAT. Mm-hmm. What other things go into applying for med school? I, I imagine you mentioned professors. Are there re- letters of recommendation or any right. kind of references that you have to get when you're applying for med school? Correct. So grades obviously are important. Um, I would aim for just as best as you can. MCAT score is important, but those extracurriculars are important as well. In fact, I think they're becoming more important. Um, so those three categories, volunteerism, leadership, and um, academics, um, some kind of, something in those three categories um, is, is important. Definitely a personal statement is very important. Your story is really important and telling your story well is important. And what that means is thinking about your story now right? Think about it today, even as an 18 year old, you know, about to enter college or as a college student, as a sophomore or freshman, you can start thinking about your story now. Why do you want to be a doctor? How have you gotten better? How have you changed? What have you learned? Right. Um, 
Is the personal awesome. statement part of every single application that you send? For- so, yeah. So every every school will see your personal statement. Letters of recommendation, which is why building those relationships early, sending out, sending out those interest emails early, connecting with professors early, is important. And of course, that that takes your effort, even at a big school or a small school. Um, letters, letters, letters of recommendation, personal statement, just as important, I think, as your extra and extracurriculars also, just as important as your grades. Yeah. Is there is there a cutoff that you've kind of observed from maybe, I don't know if you talked to your peers about this or yeah. you probably looked it up and you know the stat better than me. Is there kind of a GPA point where like below that GPA point, you have to basically blow them out the water in every single other category to be able to get into yeah. med school? I think that med school is becoming more holistic, like I was saying, which is really awesome. There are, there um, if you go on AMCAS or AAM, AA. AAMC, which is like the med school application program, Um, but they do have data for all the average GPAs and MCAT scores of all the the medical schools. So you can look at that yourself. You can interpret that yourself. Um, And those data are real and that you want to be as close to the average as you can. Um, Doctors I've talked to and other people who are older than me who have gone through med school as well, we've that's generally like the goal, right? Is to be at the average GPA and at the average MCAT score, which for MD school is about three, seven, three, eight, and a five, 14. And IDO school is about a three, the five, 10, and like a three, five, um, which tends to be the numbers. Yeah. So DO is doctor of osteopathic medicine. So what you're Correct. pursuing and, Correct. and MD is medical doctor. Is that? Yeah. Correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so now that we're kind of going in that direction. Um, what's the difference? <laughs> yeah. So um, a DO is someone who learns OMT, which stands for osteopathic manipulative, ma- manipulative treatment. Basically it's learning an extra step in learning the musculoskeletal system, which is just your muscles, your joints, your bones, and how to heal that with your hands. So it's not just cracking bones and cracking backs. It's a lot of using the muscle to heal itself and a lot of learning how to put bones that maybe are out of place due to trauma or due to just overuse um, back in place. So for example, your hips sometimes can rotate too far forward or too far back causing back pain. And I, through assessing your hip, can bring your hip back to where it should be. Um, oh, or, do you take chiropractic, do you take chiropractic like lessons? Or different or? from being chiropractors. We, yeah. um, not that I've been to chiropractic school, I can tell you the difference, but I, we are definitely different. We, it's, it's like a separate thing. Um, yeah, but yeah. it's very similar. I think we both love to heal with our hands, osteopathic doctors. And I just, I really liked OMT. I just think it's a really cool tool. I, I shadowed this anesthesiologist who also went to TCOM and she just said how um, just learning how to feel the body um, from your first, from your first day of med school really makes you a better doctor in general, because you know where the bones are, you know what bones feel like, you know what bad muscles feel like, you know what good muscle feels like. And when you want to give shots or if you want to like start epidurals as an anesthesiologist, you are better at finding where you're supposed to put the needle. Okay. Interesting. So a little bit more, because you're talking about how the DOs do stuff with with their hands. Do they also do, they also do the other stuff too, though, right? Like prescribing drugs and stuff, right? Sure. So uh, a DO is, I should have clarified this. So thank you for 
catching me. A DO can do anything an MD doctor can do with the added skill of OMT, healing things with your hands. So a DO doctor could be any, can apply to any residency that an MD doctor can apply to. Um, we, TCOM does really well. We matched, we, this past year, we matched four people into orthopedic surgery, which is a lot, <laughs> which is, which competes with any MD school out there. So being a DO doesn't necessarily disadvantage you, especially if you go to a very competitive DO school like TCOM. Uh, we're definitely look at their match data. So if you are at a stage where you're deciding what med school to go to, you any med school will have their match data, which will just show you where their graduates go for residency. Um, we match a lot of anesthesiologists. We match a lot of surgeons. We also match a lot of internal medicine and family medicine too. A very good, I would say, spread from TCOM. Yeah. Uh, so you said, you, you said it sounds like you're looking at like a lot of, you're still looking at the data and it sounds like you probably always were, when you talk about that database, always were looking at the data when picking out med schools to Definitely. apply to. So, so what other things, I'm going to dovetail a little bit further back because I kind of lost my way in that last question. No worries. Uh, so, so what else did you do to prepare yourself specifically for applying for med school? You said you work for an MCAT prep company. Did you also consume their product or, or how did that work? <laughs> I did. <clears throat> so I worked for an MCAT tutoring company. I was one of their students and I did well enough that they wanted to hire me back. Um, and I, that wasn't actually a huge part of my application. I mean, I think it definitely helped them see that I was someone who liked to help others and was compassionate. My two biggest things I did that helped my application were the volunteering at the children's shelter, which I mentioned earlier was a shelter for children coming out of domestic violence issues. And being an EMT, like pretty much all my essays mentioned me being an EMT and how that made me solidified my decision to become a doctor. Yeah. That's so, great. yeah. So, um, yeah, those are probably my, my two biggest ways that I prepared for medical school. Um, definitely. Yeah. Okay, sweet. So um, I think you already kind of hit on most of your extracurriculars. Were there any other things that you did? Uh, socially that or extracurriculars wise that might have stood out on your resume or you might have intentionally left off your resume <laughs> intentionally left off you mean you mean being a fraternity <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know if i really included that i um i didn't i didn't i don't think i really included that because i didn't really have like a leadership role in it um I yeah, that was me so if we want to talk about that i think doing fun things you guys is so important right yeah. because burnouts are real and I think that burnouts don't always just look like giving up. Burnouts sometimes look like becoming cold and just forgetting why you're doing what you're doing and yeah. losing empathy, right? And yeah. if you lose empathy, then what kind of doctor are you going to be? Probably not a very good one. Um, and that is one of the reasons why I like TCOM as well. Like people at TCOM know how to have fun. Some people are also like, don't like to have fun. But um, for sure, a lot of my friends, at least that I've made, um, we have so much fun together, you know, and, and, and post tests, we always do something, of course, COVID friendly. And now that we're vaccinated, we are doing more than we were, but, um, yeah, it's just, it's doing something that you love is so important. Um, being in that church group with Daniel is so important to me being in that fraternity with Daniel is so important to me. Um, so it's okay to have a little fun. I remember even as a freshman, when like, I was so worried about school, I always gave myself Friday night off. Friday when school when class ended at noon, I would eat lunch with my friends. I would study in the afternoon, kind of review the notes from that day. And then I would get dinner and then I would take Friday night off always. 
I'll never, I would try not to get too hungover so I can like study Saturday morning, but even on like test week, I would, I seriously, I, I always gave myself Friday night off and, but you know, Saturday by 10 AM, I was back. Yeah. Library, but yeah. Do yeah, that future, for future doctor here talking about hangovers, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks Definitely. Ryan. Yeah. No, it, it, it is important to have fun. I, I, I agree with that sentiment. I think that everything in life is about balance and mm-hmm. I think it sounds like even med schools understand that. Obviously, there's a standard. There's yeah. a, you, have to, you can look at the charts, like Ryan said, look at what GPA is required, hit that GPA, look at mm-hmm. what MCAT's required, hit right. that MCAT, do whatever you can to hit the MCAT score, mm-hmm. do whatever you can to be involved. This mm-hmm. is like, this is like for anything for any job. Do what you can to boost your resume and get experience, do mm-hmm. things that help you realize whether or not you want to do the thing that you're pursuing. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's why internships and in engineering mm-hmm. are super important and right. why working as a scribe and, or working as, as an example. Team, yeah. As an example, when I interviewed at St. Louis um, College of Medicine, um, one of the first questions I got was my literally like in your, in your application for med school, you can list up to 15 activities. And I just wanted to do all 15. So my 15th activity was piano, music. I, ta- I just said how my hobby because that, that's one of the categories too, is you can, you know, you can, you can, yeah. you can list a category of the activity that you're doing. I, I put it as hobby and I just talked about piano. And that was my first question was tell me about piano. Tell me about what, tell me about what, what kind of piano music do you like to play? And we had like a 20 minute conversation about piano and that interview, interview was only an hour long, but 20 minutes of it was about piano. And so when you, the, the GPA and the MCAT score gets you in the door, right? Yeah. And you don't, you don't, sometimes even if you're slightly below average, you can still get in the door, but from once you're in the door, they want people who are interesting. They want people who, who love life. They want people who will, will know how to relax so they can stay empathetic and, and, and happy doctors. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what, what is the demographic at your, at your med school program? Is it, is it a lot of other people that took gap years and are yeah. your age and significantly <clears throat> older? Or is it a lot of kids that, you know, came straight out of undergrad and went straight into the whole thing? I have friends who are 21. I have friends who are 35. So it's a huge mix. Um, and we definitely, um, there are a handful who just come out of college. Most people have taken at least one year off um, or two. And people at TCOM tend to, I know a lot of my friends were scribes. Um, they're actually, I've, I do have a friend who was an EMT, did the same job as me, was an ER technician. Um, wow. Demographic wise, we're mostly white and Asian. Um, I think we have, we're, we're not super diverse in that way, which is something that our class is trying to change in our school. We're, me, us in the class above us are trying to do something about that, um, which is a whole other podcast. Um, but we definitely um, are a good mix. Very nice people. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sweet. So, so this group of people, what is your, what is this group of people's day-to-day like? What's, yeah. what's the day in the life in Ryan Pooh yeah, finishing up his first year of med school? What's it like? Definitely. So we um, have exams almost every other Monday or Friday. So usually speaking, we'll have an exam, um, yeah, so it'll be, um, 
we have, we can have an exam Monday and then two Mondays they will have another exam or might have an exam Monday. And then two weeks later, have an exam on Friday. That's typically how it, how it works. Each exam is about three hours long and covers somewhere between 10 to 15 lectures. And each lecture is somewhere between hundred, 110 slides probably would be like a, like an average. Um, I study probably, I don't, on, on like, on like an off week, I might study like 40 hours and on an on week I might study about 80. <laughs> okay. I don't envy you at all. Wow. Okay. <laughs> keep, you know, keep on going, keep on going. Um, but definitely after exams, we all do something. If it's a Monday night, it's kind of more lame. We might go to get dinner or something on a Friday night. On a Friday night, we do something fun for sure. Um, we go to Billy Bob sometimes. We have pool parties sometimes, especially yeah. all post-COVID, of course. Pre-COVID, we just kind of play video games virtually or something like that. Um, yeah. 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 So, man, that's that's interesting. So it, it sounds like y'all, you know, y'all are celebrating together. Is it also a pretty community-oriented learning experience? Are y'all studying so. together or is it kind of a little more cutthroat? Is it, yeah. is med school kind of competitive? I mean, you're, cause you're competing so, for residency spots, right? That's true. Although residency spots are, are moving away. Um, all just like the medical school culture, the residency application culture is also moving away from just grades. Um, uh-huh. like I, my, my friends who are, who are applying to residency programs, they also have 20 minute long conversations about playing piano or about some hobby of theirs. Um, one yeah. of my friends, he just matched anesthesiology and he put on his resume that he's a cookie connoisseur that he loves to make cookies. And they just talked for 15 minutes out of the hour about cookies and about why he likes cookies and, and how he makes cookies and different cookie shops <laughs> in Fort Worth. Interesting. And Interesting. so do, do you, I guess, if, if you want to take anything away from this podcast, right? Do you work hard in school, but also do you? Yeah. So, so you're saying it's not super competitive. <laughs> um, the school culture itself, there is, we, we do care about grades. Um, there, we do rank our students in quartiles. So you could, you could be in the top quartile, the middle quartile, the middle bottom quartile, or the last quartile, um, which even that is not super important for residency. I know people who are in adjacent quartiles and get the same residency spot, same opportunities. Um, so in general, it's, like I said, becoming less important. So, the, so we do, so to answer your question, we are very collaborative. I love my class. We help each other. We're not afraid to share um, really good notes with each other. We're not afraid to tell each other really good tips. You know, if I get a really good tip from a 30, I will put it in our group chat and, and, and share with everyone else. So in general, most people are very collaborative. Yeah. Is that kind of like your same experience going in pre-med or was it a little more aggressive in undergrad going pre-med were people a little more competitive about that? I think it was a little more competitive. And that just brings me to like, um, in general, med school just is different in that way in that you're in med school. And so most people tend to relax a little bit more. We're worried more about as long as we pass, usually we're content. Um, and, and, and that's part of the cult that cult, cultivates a culture of support as opposed to competition. Yeah. Nice. So, so you graduate from med school. What do you have to do from there to get to the next step? Cause I, I know again, stupid engineer brain here. I know residency comes after med school. So first of all, what do you have to do between now 
and getting matched at your residency. Are there any exams you have to take? Are, is it different for you as a DO student than it is for an MD? What's, what, what's that like? So the every DO has to take what's called the COMLEX exam, um, which is our version of, of board certification. So you take that at the end of your second year, and that's called COMLEX one. You take and then you take COMLEX two at the end of your third year, um, and and then and then by the fourth year you would you would graduate now the md version of that is called usmle united states medical licensing exam and that's called step so complex one and step one of usmle go hand in hand so we will take both um at the end of our first year a uh, second year excuse me and then we'll take step two which is the md version and complex two which is the do version we have to take both exams at the end of third year now, not everyone needs to take both. So like I said, you need to take Comlex to graduate from DO school and USMLE to graduate from MD school. But a lot of ver- the more competitive residencies want to also see your USMLE score, even if you um, graduated, even though the Comlex is compar- um, comparative. So yep. we're stuck in the middle a little bit. If you want to do internal medicine or family medicine, kind of the less competitive, app- but just not less competitive, but there's just more residency spots. And so therefore you can, there are enough opportunities with just your complex score, which is the DO version. But if you want to do the more competitive ones, anesthesia is kind of borderline considered one of the more competitive ones, but definitely general surgery, all the surgeries, uh, orthopedics, dermatology, um, radiology, those ones you'd probably need to take the USMLA two, which is the MD version. So we have two exams, which sucks in a way, but it is what it is. <laughs> Um, being stuck in the middle kind of so yeah and then okay if you want to be an internal medicine or or, sorry a family medicine doctor how many years of residency is that yeah so internal medicine family medicine pediatrics and emergency medicine those are three-year residencies anesthesia is a four-year just kind of unique and then all the surgeries are five plus years typically speaking wow which 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 one is the longest orthopedics i believe it's really sick. longer than longer than neuro. I, for some yeah. reason, I always just imagine that neurosurgeons. Yeah. Are, are I think neuro is also compared also about six. Yeah, I'm not. Wow. I don't want to be a surgeon, so I'm not super clear. At least five to seven, something like that. So do they pretty, have to do something after their residency too? Or usually, no? it really depends. So some, so so an orthopedic surgeon, if they want to specialize in hand surgery or specialize in in, in knee surgery, or hip replacements, they might need to do a seventh year fellowship. Wow. Yeah. So anesthesia is. is Four years, which is kind of my limit. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I want to do anything longer than that. As a resident, you are a full-blown doctor, but you still work under an attending. So an attending is just someone who is post the residency and they help you out. Um, you're not paying you know, as much as attending. You're paid usually between 50 and 70K, I think are the most recent numbers um, for a resident pay. Um, a chief resident is someone who is in their last year and who is just probably performed the best in their first few years as a resident. Um, and they're paid a little bit more. So, wow. Okay. So you started the conversation about money. So (laughs) you are from Portland as I conveniently introduced earlier. And as I know, cause I, I know you, so, (laughs) but you are going to med school in Texas, DFW, Fort Worth, my hometown, shout out Fort Worth, uh, Panther city, um, funky town. Now what is it's out of state, right? I mean, what, what is that? What is it? Is it, 
is out of state tuition is it a, is it a big deal whenever you're looking at med schools and stuff like that? For sure, it is. So Texas, if you look at Texas in state and out of state tuitions, they are different for sure. About double as an if you're an out of state resident. However, nice. even even the out of state tuition of Texas is still cheaper than most private school tuitions. In fact, a lot cheaper. Um, tuition at TCOM is about twenty five thousand if you're in state, about forty if you're out. And then, but then a lot of other private schools are up to maybe 60 um, cool. tuition, um, alone tuition and fees. So we're looking at 20 to 40 to 60, depending on where you are. So Texas, even as an out-of-state is still cheaper than most private schools. Um, to be an in-state resident, you typically have to take two gap years. So you'd have to graduate because your, your, your years as a student don't count towards building residency in that state. So just because I went to undergrad in San Antonio and Texas doesn't mean that those years count towards being resident. My one year of working at the ER in San Antonio, that counted as my one year to become a Texas resident. So in, when I worked that one full year post-graduation, but pre-going to med school, that allowed me to become a Texas resident. However, it did not allow me to become a Texas resident when I applied. So see, I applied right when I graduated. So right when I graduated, I was still living under my four-year student status. But when I matriculated into medical school one year later, I had gained that one year of residency uh, of, of Texas residency. So when I, when I was accepted and got in and, and showed up in Fort Worth and began to pay my tuition, that was a full year. And so the, the, the financial aid office only charged me the in-state tuition. Wow. So was, oh, so another, wow. Yeah, go ahead. What was your question? So, so that's another reason to take a gap year then is what I'm hearing. Correct. Especially if you know which states you want to do med school in. Okay, carry on. So when you were considered... So when I was considered, though, for medical school, that happened the summer that I graduated, which means You're that they were, they were seeing me as an out-of-state resident. But it also means that I was able to apply to an Oregon school as an in-stater. Um, oh, so you had so, options. Yeah. Exactly. So I, based, so I applied to Texas as an out-of-stater, which was probably a slight disadvantage because there's a law. In, so Texas can only accept 10% out-of-staters. However, half, if not more, of their applicants are from out of state. Oh, and so, wow. so, let's, so half or so of their applicants are competing for 10% as opposed to the other half of in-state are competing for 90% of the spots. Um, keeping in mind that three to 4,000 people apply to TCOM for something like 250 spots. It's something like three to 5% acceptance rate. Wow. Um, most schools, some schools get 10,000 applications for 200 or 100 spots. So you're looking at a few percent application, a few percent acceptance rate. Um, wow. Scary. But, wow. So you're saying that if you had got, if you had chosen to go to Oregon State for med mm -hmm. school or University of Oregon for med yeah. school. Oregon Health Science University, correct. Or, yeah. Oregon Health Science University. You would have still been able to stay an Oregon resident if you moved back in time? Through my, because I moved back in time and through my parents. Correct. Okay. And you also could have been a resident in Texas. You're basically kind of having, you had your, your feet into- I had an pods. interesting situation, correct. Yeah. So I had definitely had an interesting situation. I, I definitely, I was correct. You are correct. So I was considered as an in-state, in because um, again, it, it matters if you're in-state for your being accepted because every state, just like Texas, also has some kind of quota where they prefer to accept their in-state residents. And so when I applied to the Oregon school, I was considered as an in-state applicant. And so I was interviewed 
Um, I didn't end up getting it off the wait list, but I was interviewed for this very competitive school in Oregon. Um, and in Texas, I was considered as an out-of-stater when they were deciding whether they wanted me. But by the time I when entered the school and was about to pay tuition, I had, had been a full year. So I was able to pay in-state Texas tuition. Wow. Awesome. Well, well, good on you. I mean, again, it sounds like that planning and thinking and, and being very strategic about it. I mean, it sounds like it, it's really important uh, for somebody that wants to go into med school. And, Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I think that that's something to keep in mind. Cause I know that, I mean, for me personally, like whenever I went to, whenever I first went into college, it was a, it was a big shift, like everything in high school. I mean, it wasn't easy, but like, mm-hmm. you know, things kind of, a lot of people that, that want, there are people that are aspiring doctors and yeah. engineers, you know, things in high school came a little bit easier for them. And mm-hmm. in college, you, you really got to be intentional and you got to plan mm-hmm. and, and you got to set yourself up for success. So shout mm-hmm. out to all the people that are planning and setting themselves up for success by listening this podcast, but yeah, Ryan, myself, were evidence of the fact that you, if you, planning and being strategic yeah. and thinking about things early on, right. will will help you get to where you want to be. But maybe I can sum up the things to plan, so people don't feel too overwhelmed. There really isn't. There is a lot to plan, but I think that there's a formula. I think that the first formula would be making connections with your professors. Don't be afraid to send some emails. Introduce yourself to professors who could matter the pre-med advisor people who you know the, the various biology or chemistry professors that you have who can attest to your biology and chemistry skills right form those relationships early number two like i said the three categories make sure you do something in volunteer something academic it could be being a ta it could be doing research and something leadership you want one of those three um, and then planning ahead taking your mcat making sure you're studying early and also making sure you're picking up hobbies doing fun things doing you who are you if you, if you can do those things, I think that you are in a very good place for success. Yeah, that's, that's great advice, Ryan. And same for engineering. It's, it's a pretty simple formula. Um, focus on good grades, you know, three, two, five, three, five. If you're, if you're above that range, you're not really going to get yourself disqualified from most positions. Um, try to get an internship doing anything as early as possible. That's what you should be doing your summers, not going on a cruise with your I mean, you can go on cruises, but like, I mean, <laughs> summer after your sophomore year, summer after your junior year, you need to be working, either doing an internship or doing something related to what you want to do. Yeah. And then just being intentional about applying, um, having a networking mindset and, and really yeah. trying to meet people and put yourself out there. That's the simple formula for engineering. It's not that hard. And I got my EMT p- position because I spent the time to get to know and talk to my EMT instructor. And he was the one who got me the job. So sometimes just being friendly, you guys, and like talking to people um, goes a long way. I know Daniel as well. You got your internship just through people, you know, no. Yeah. I got my internship because I sat next to a guy at dinner. Exactly. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was a networking dinner that um, was planned by somebody else. So thank you, Catherine Schauer for that. (laughs) But um, yeah, that's, that's basically how I got my internship. Yeah. And my, my internship that I had before that, which I got the experience from that qualified me for the internship with the company that's now my employer. I got that through a connection in our fraternity. Uh, just a guy, his dad happened to be the chief engineer at a local contractor and um, said I had an opening and I just happened to be one of the first people to find out about it. And that was a good fit. So yeah, it, it's really, I mean, I'm, again, Emma said it in an earlier episode, the, the phrase is not about what you know, who you know, is not 
always true and and she said it's kind of a stupid phrase and i i, I get it I, I get why it's kind of stupid but at the same time networking and putting yourself out there is also vital and and that along with studying hard trying to learn and having the right mindset yeah. of yeah. trying to learn is is really important yeah for sure all right sweet all right so I think we've gotten through most of the questions here. So I'm gonna ask you, I'm gonna give you a chance to give some shout outs to your university. And then we'll go into, uh, any, any shout outs, uh, again, Trinity University, sponsor me. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I need to get them, uh, just like those Pandora ads that I had going uh, in high school. I mean, once I applied to Trinity, I got a Pandora ad from Trinity every single day until, at, at, like midway through my freshman year of college when I stopped using Pandora. So um, whatever, it worked. But um, so any shout outs you have towards uh, your university, any pro professors, um, your experience and yeah, sure. sure. advertising I mean, why somebody would want to go there? Dr. Schinkel is amazing. Um, he wrote my composite, which just means like the major letter of rec. Um, he's incredible. Dr. Healy, doctor who I worked with, Amazing guy. Um, Dr. Tarango was my religion professor, wrote one of my essays as well. Dr. Sotervasan is a, a hand surgeon that I shadowed um, in the hand center of San Antonio. If you ever if ever hurt any of your any of your fingers, definitely go to the hand center of San Antonio. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give me these ads, man. Yes, I know. Um, free advertisement. Um, uh, John Drollinger was my EMT advisor who really changed my life helped me find that job, tell me everything I know about being an EMT, great guy. Um, and then TCOM, of course, what a great school. Um, love my friends there. And yeah, those are my shout outs. Yeah. All right. So uh, I think that the uh, general message here is uh, Daniel's friends are mostly from Trinity University. It's a great school. <laughs> Good time. Uh, yeah. Ryan here is going to be a fantastic doctor. Uh, mm -hmm. You got what? Three more years of med school Three and more years. four yeah. more years of residency. Correct. Seven years until I'm uh, independent, hopefully, in a CZR. Yeah. Well, I don't I don't envy you in that journey, but I, I what I do what I do 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 <laughs> what I do feel is excitement uh, for for this journey that you're on. And I know that it's it's been a, a long culmination as it is for most people actually every single person that becomes a doctor. Yeah. I think it's wonderful. So I hope that we can check in with you some more in future episodes of the podcast, maybe see what uh, your takeaways are from year two and see how it's different from year one. And then uh, maybe even once you're in residency a little bit, I mean, you're going to be so busy, but how that's oh, different than med to. school. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'd really appreciate it. So yeah. Oh, shoot. I was wrapping up at a beautiful conclusion. I remembered one thing that you told me about your med school experience that I thought was kind of weird, but interesting at the same time. And I thought that people would benefit from hearing about it. Okay. How many classes are you taking at a time in med school? At a time? One. Yeah. One. Time. Now, is that unique to your school? I think so. It sounds like it. I, I would yeah. imagine so. so. So the way we do it is we, we, we learn systems. So we learn the musculoskeletal system in about a month. And then we learn the, the neuro system. So your brain and spine in about a month. And we learn your cardio and your lung system in about a month. 
And then we learn your GI and your stomach and your kidney system in about a month. And then endocrinology and reproduction in a month. What am I missing? And then drugs in a month and then cancer in a month. So um, it's kind of like one subject at a time with, I guess, 10 or 15 different lectures, all of them on a slightly different topic yet relevant to the top, to the greater topic. Yeah. So I would say one class. Is that what you're getting at, Daniel? Yeah, one class at a time. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting. And yeah. I thought it was and asking you a random question in the middle of my outro is no. absolutely perfectly fitting for this random <laughs> all over the place. No, uh, podcast that I run here. But but seriously, I, I really appreciate you coming on and um, I hope to have you back soon. I think that I think that, that people will find this helpful, especially somebody that's early on in that phase of trying to become a doctor. And um, yeah. Ryan gave some great resources to look into. I'm going to ask him to send me the links to those resources. So I will put them in the description of the YouTube channel. Uh, for those of you watching on YouTube, probably five, six weeks from when this is recorded, because I'm slow at editing YouTube videos. <laughs> and uh, it'll be in the show notes for those of you that are listening in the podcast. So I'm going to hold Ryan to that. And uh, speaking of ads, we were talking about earlier, if I still have ads, you should get an ad between this section of the podcast and your favorite section of the podcast, the podcast where I answer questions that I've pulled off of Reddit because nobody has asked me a question yet. So. Anyways, that's the uh, first half of the podcast. Thank you, Ryan. And we'll uh, catch you in the second half. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to that podcast interview as much as I did. And I hope you got an ad there because that means that at least I'm somewhat listening, listened to a bull by at least someone so anyways, um, we're going to kick into the second half of the podcast. I have one question today, and I think it is a pretty good one. The question goes, do you guys actually enjoy being an engineer, or did you mostly become one because people slash society told you the positions are lucrative? I think this is a great question. The question asker goes on to say, I've worked other career fields, and in my personal opinion, engineering kind of sucks. I enjoyed schooling, but I don't necessarily want, necessarily want to become a professor or go back. I would wager most of us are somewhat overthinkers, and my brain just doesn't turn off. This was probably a good thing 500 years ago. If my problem was I don't know when my next meal is, or I want to have easy access to water, then it would be very reasonable for my brain brain to constantly think of solutions. But now I can overthink everything when I'm showering, going to bed, random ideas and solutions for work problems just pop in my head. This is just how my brain works. And if I was using these solution processes for personal matters or home projects, I'd be ecstatic, but I don't get to choose. Well, the ones that stress me out the most probably get priority. I'm not sure I'm going anywhere with this, just kind of ranting, I guess. All right, so I'll answer the main question first. Do you guys actually enjoy being an engineer? I do. I, I think it, um, yes, I was told by many people that it was lucrative and um, that I could do it. And, and uh, to be honest, that did play a little bit into me being interested in being an engineer at first. But at the same time, once I started taking the classes and the coursework, I mean, I knew that 
that that was something for me and something that I'd be interested in doing or I wouldn't have continued pursuing it. Um, but the other thing that I think is really cool is that, yeah, engineering jobs are, can be for some, uh, depending on the job, a little bit more boring or a little bit more difficult to get through the day doing. But that's a really beautiful thing about having an engineering degree is you can basically do anything. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call my current job a strictly engineering job, um, but I really enjoy it. And I'm, I'm really grateful that I get to do it. And I, I enjoy my job and I enjoy the people that it's allowed me to work with. Um, I am not like you. I did not enjoy schooling. Like I enjoyed being I enjoyed learning and I enjoyed um, feeling like I was gaining knowledge and especially those moments whenever all the engineering courses started to tie together whenever I took my first fluids class and I was applying things from calculus and partial differential equations and mixing that with stuff that I learned in dynamics and statics and then also finding the similarities in how fluid works versus current and seeing how those are very similar things that was really cool but did I miss, did I really like schooling? Did I like the concept of school? I'll be honest, not really. I mean, I went, I went to a great university. I had some great professors. I had some great peers. But the concept of school and the concept of studying for exams and stuff like that, it just, it really wasn't appealing for me. But I also acknowledge that I, I definitely wouldn't have learned as much if I didn't have that structure. So I kind of, I kind of agree with you um, to an extent, but I kind of also disagree with you that I don't, particularly enjoy schooling. And I know that you're just ranting and you're not necessarily asking for career advice, but I think that as an engineer, we have a lot of opportunities. We have a lot of things we can do. And um, if you don't like your job or if you want a job that um, isn't giving you the types of problems that are stressing you out so much, then, I mean, I would I would take the a look at the, the problems and things that you're experiencing for your personal matters and seeing what you like about those problems and seeing, oh, what kind of career fields can I apply my engineering problem solving skills to that are related to the things I enjoy uh, pro problem solving for? I mean, engineers, every company needs people that solve problems and that's what engineers do. Every company needs people that sol do things critically um, and that's what engineers do. And within every company, there's a lot of different roles that um, you can find engineers doing. At my company, I know a couple engineers that work in our treasury department. I know, obviously, some engineers that work in our executive department, engineers that work out in the field doing project controls work, um, engineers that are doing legal and business development and commercial. So I would look at the things that you find interesting and the problems that you enjoy and then see if there's a way you can pivot your career into solving more problems like that. I think you'd find that you'd enjoy your job a little bit more. Um, and then lastly, um, yeah, society has evolved. Um, and But I do think that your brain not turning off and your ability to um, solve problems can be a good thing and it'll get you in a good place. But at the same time, um, I think it would be really nice I mean, I personally don't do this well enough, but I think that you might also benefit from uh, picking up some hobbies or activities that allow you to kind of take a brain break or activities that are light, you, light lighter work of your brain, some mindless activities. Um, some people like to do that with exercising or um, something like woodworking. 
<laughs> I know that's super specific, but um, maybe do some research on activities that you'd be interested in that allow you to be, uh, are just enough brain activity for you to be interested in, but not so much brain activity that you're constantly stimulated and you're constantly exhausted from constantly thinking. So I know that's uh, a mouthful and you weren't even asking for advice, but I just really resonated with this question, which is why I made it the only question I'm responding to today, um, because it, I think it's it's really something that, you know, a lot of people um, face. And, and Ryan talked about it earlier with the, the burnout and um, where people kind of grow cold to the things that they that they're doing for work and for career. And, and I think that, that that hobby and and trying to distract yourself and take brain breaks will allow you to kind of avoid going as cold as it sounds like you you may have gone. So anyways, I wish you the best. Uh, I understand. I'm also constantly trying to solve problems and, and do things like this. So I, I relate to you. And, um, and then at the same time, uh, I think it's also a learning experience for other people that are considering engineering degrees. Um, you can do anything with an engineering degree. So, um, so that is the end of this episode of the Engineering Success Podcast, E-N-G-R-I-N-G dot success at gmail.com. If you want to submit your own question, I would really enjoy receiving them. Uh, if you want to support the podcast, just click on the support banner on Anchor. Go to anchor.fm slash engineering success and you'll find this podcast website and you'll be able to support the podcast that way. And um, make sure that you share uh, if you think that somebody else in your life would benefit from this podcast, make sure you share it with them. And then last but not least, if there's any way that I can be an asset to you, shoot me an email at the podcast email link. All right. Well, I'm Daniel Dollinger, and this is Engineering Success Podcast. Thanks. I'm miscommunicating. I just made a pilot, then they threw me on the stations. Now I'm not complaining. Now I'm not complaining. My thoughts get complicated. I cannot explain in lameness. Never losing focus because I ain't chasing payments. Still playing in the basin while I'm working on arrangements. They heard the kid in 50 countries. Thank God that's amazing. But I'd rather thank Spotify. They put me on the station.